Is God pleased with your faith or are you playing it too safe? Is God pleased with your faith or are you playing it too safe? One of my favorite things to do with my kids is play disc golf, especially during the pandemic. I mean, when everyone was, we were supposed to be holed up in our houses. I mean, we were out there three or four times a week and we we're playing with, with other fathers and their kids. And, and I'll never forget several months ago, I was playing with my good buddy, Ken and his son, Case. And we were playing disc golf right at the, the small Holotus disc golf course down the road. And, and I remember Case, he, was, he would throw the, the disc towards the chains. And, and when he'd come up a little bit short, he'd pick up the disc. And I remember him looking up at his dad saying, Dad, if I would have made this shot, would you have been impressed? And then he would pick it up and we'd go on to the next hole. And a couple of holes later, he would throw that disc towards the chains and he'd miss the chains again. And he would pick that disc up. And guess what he said when he missed it? As he looked up into his dad's eyes, he said, Dad, if I made that shot, would you have been impressed? How many of you have kids? And oftentimes they may not ask, would you be impressed? But they're like, do you approve? Watch me, whether it be at a swimming pool, ball field, in their backyard. How many of you have kids that always want you to, to watch them and, and that you could tell by their actions that they want you to approve? How many of you remember what it was like being a kid and, and you wanted your parents to, to just watch you and, and to see you and notice you? There's something I think in, in, intrinsically in all of us that, that want to be noticed, that want to be observed. One day we're going to stand before our Father in heaven. Did we do what he asked us to do? So why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? I am not advocating to do things for the sake of earning salvation or earning God's grace. That's impossible. But yet there should be times in our life where we should take steps of faith that pleases our Father in heaven. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I am excited that you're here as we continue our journey through the gospel of Matthew. We're starting a brand new series today called Over All. Over All. We've spent several weeks through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 looking at the greatest sermon ever told, right? Examining closely the teaching of Jesus, the manifesto to the kingdom of God. The new king had arrived, but it was a king that... Really, a lot of people didn't expect. When they expected the Messiah, the king, they expected a new military reign that would be a kingdom of the earth. But Jesus came to establish a heavenly kingdom, right? And it was different. It wasn't, he didn't run to, to Jerusalem, to the wealthy, to the elite. He, he came to the poor, the broken, right? To the, the day laborers, the fishermen, the tax collectors, the sick. And that's who he was close to. Even some would say that if Jesus was a rabbi. He was more of a poor man's rabbi. He was considered a mumser. A mumser would, would have been someone who came from an illegitimate marriage because of people who did not believe the miracle where Joseph wasn't the father, that then if Joseph wasn't the dad, then, then, and, then how did that work out with Jesus? So in a way, Jesus coming from Nazarene, coming from a place where people would have looked down upon, uh, he, he, he gave his time and his attention to the broken, to the contrite. That's who he was close to. And so he's spending time, and, and remember, the Beatitudes are blessed to those who are poor in spirit, to those who are mourn, to those who are meek, to those who are hungry, right? And, and so as he gives this teaching and his expectation for his followers, his, his expectations for us, and there was this large crowd of people, now they move off the mountain, and what would be the expectation? 
The expectation would have been for now, let's, let's see, is Jesus and his followers, is it going to just be lip service or are they going to be people of action? Will their actions match their words? Right. And so they come off this mountain and the first encounter that Jesus has, as you see at the beginning of, of Matthew chapter eight, is a leper, the most unclean person in the first century. Like a, a leper was supposed to stay isolated with other lepers and a leper colony. But this leper had a little bit of faith, had some crazy in his eyes that said, you know what? I've heard the stories of blind people being healed and the paralyzed walking. And I've heard the teachings. And, and if, if Jesus can heal them, then he can heal me. And so he leaves his quarantine quarters and he calls out for Jesus to heal him. And this would be a moment of truth. Because a, a, a rabbi or any Jew, there were laws against touching a leper, being in the presence. That, like if you touched a leper, you would be unclean. And you can read from the, in the book of Leviticus all the consequences. And there were a lot of them. Like you couldn't go into a house of worship. You couldn't be around other people. And so what would Jesus do? This moment of truth, when this unclean person, this person who had a death sentence, came and approached Jesus, how would Jesus respond? Jesus would reach out and touch this leper. leper. He wouldn't just say be healed. He literally touched him, this unclean person. Again, it was countercultural to the expectations and the, the norms and the traditions of that day because Jesus was full of compassion and love. And he did something that required some faith, right? He touched and he healed this man. And so he heals this leper. And now he's taking this journey and he's going to this small village of Capernaum. A lot of the ministry and teachings of Jesus would happen in this, this small town. Today, it's just a, a, a city of ruins. But in the first century, it would have been a, a fish market town because it was very close to the Sea of Galilee. You could see it in the, in the distance. But the focal point, the center of this community, like many of the Jewish communities in the first century, would have been the synagogue, the place of worship. And so in this place of worship where Jesus would have worshiped God and he would have taught, there is this stone chair where the rabbi would have sat on. I'll never forget when I was there in Israel, in Capernaum, I got to sit uh, where historically rabbis would have sat and taught. And about 100 yards away from this synagogue in Capernaum was the house of the apostle Peter. This would have been where he grew up where Jesus would have spent nights. It's the exact location where uh, today there's an ultra-modern Catholic church that sits above, like on, the, on eight different pillars, right, hovers, right over the ruins of Peter's house. And, but back then, it would have been where Jesus would have spent some time in resting and fellowship. It would have been, been the place where the Gospels report where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And many historians believe that is the reason. The reason why Jesus healed mother-in-law is why Peter would deny Jesus three times. God, I'm sorry. It's not true at all. Bad joke. Won't tell the joke. Next service. Come on, my little surprises are getting all over the place here. All right. Let's go back to the word of God. All right, come on. Let's get our attention back on track. All right, Matthew 8, chapter 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, this would have been a soldier. Was he Jewish? 
No, he was a Roman soldier. This would have been the, one of the ones that were responsible for the great oppression of the Jews. He was an outsider. He was a, he was a Gentile, right? And so not only was he a soldier, he was a, a centurion, which would, means that he was like over 100 different soldiers. And so he came to Jesus pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, this soldier would have lived only about a 20 minute walk from where they're at in Capernaum. And notice his response to Jesus when Jesus said, I'll come, I'll come to your house, I'll heal him. He said in verse eight, the centurion answer said, Lord, how did he refer to Jesus? Okay, Lord, I am not worried that worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you, that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Father, we thank you for these sacred scriptures. Thank you for this story that you were impressed by the, the faith of an outsider. And I pray, O oh Lord, that inside of each of us, that there would be a, a faith that comes from hearing your word of God that would rise up and that we would be obedient to all that you ask of us, that we would be obedient to the promptings of the spirit in our own lives for your good pleasure, for the glory of God, that we would see your kingdom advanced in Jesus' name. Amen. So what can we observe about this Roman officer, this centurion? He was a soldier, right? And so he would have understood chain of command. When we see it in scripture, verse nine, he says, for I also am a man under authority and I have soldiers under me. So he was in authority and he was under authority. So Roman law required that no soldier would have any possessions that would personally belong to themselves. And so they would march to the march of the great emperor. It was all for the, the state. It was, they, they would dress how they wanted them to dress. They would eat what was provided for them. They would fight. They would obey. They would do all of these things because they, they were under authority. So this man knew chain of command. How many of you are either military, you have a family member that's in the military that serves our country? Look around. I, I, that's one of the things I love about our church family. It makes us healthy and strong. We've got so many military family members, and we thank you and honor you for your service for our country. But one of the things that's unique to you that I've observed for people who are military is they get chain of command. That, that you, you don't make excuses, that you don't say no when your officer tells you to do something. When you get the orders, you go. One of the bravest men and closest men in my life uh, is John Edwards. And John Edwards was a, 
uh, a teacher. He taught law enforcement at a high school here in Texas. He was a police officer for 12 years. Before that, he served in our, in our country's Air Force. He was, he was my father-in-law. He passed away in November of 2011 from lung cancer. And I was visiting my mother-in-law's house this uh, weekend, and she handed me this, this newspaper article that I had never seen before. And it talked about his life and his story as he was a teacher, and it, and it kind of shared his background. He served, see, when he was, after he was married for two weeks, uh, he enlisted in the Air Force to fight in Vietnam. And it says that he served on the Special Intelligence Force at Da Nang. He, had, he experienced several attacks firsthand there. His health still bears the effects of his service in Vietnam. Edwards said, I am a cancer survivor with one lung. Since I have never smoked, I think it is possible the cancer was caused by my exposure to Agent Orange. But I would do it again if asked. I'd go anywhere they wanted me to go, and that includes Iraq. At the time, he was late 50s, but he would be willing to fight and defend his country. It's the kind of man he was, the kind of soldier he was. Many of you are like that, and you understand earthly kingdoms. And that's the way this man was, that he, this Roman centurion, he was like, I, I, I will go when I'm told to go. I, I will do anything to please my emperor. So this man not only knew earthly kingdom and earthly authority, but he knew spiritual authority. He knew a heavenly kingdom. Why do we know this? Because again, in verse eight, he refers to Jesus, not as a rabbi, like many would refer to Jesus, but he refers to him as what? Lord. Like there's this submission to authority. Like he is, he's, he's stating something very profound. He's there for a reason, right? He is a soldier. And the reason why he's there is because he has a servant that he cares about, that he loves enough to not just allow him to be sick and possibly die, but there was, there was some faith that he heard about the stories of Jesus that caused him to leave his his home and find Jesus in the town of Capernaum and say, Jesus, will you do something? Will you, will you heal my servant? This man has some character, right? He, he has, he's a soldier. He has compassion and love for his servant, but he's got some faith, doesn't he? Like in the first century, like a Hebrew word would describe someone that has some like audacious uh, gall or this supreme confidence in the supernatural would have been chutzpah. That's what this man had. And so could you just imagine that this centurion is, is running up to Jesus and he says, hey, I've got a servant that's sick. He's tormented. He's paralyzed. Jesus, will you, will you heal him? And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Like, I'm going to leave this town and I will come to, to where your servant is and I will heal him. And then what did this man do? He said, no, 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 no. You don't have to come. I'm not even worthy that you would come underneath my house. Just say the word. And in that moment, in that moment, how did Jesus respond? I imagine he grinned. He was like, wow, there's some craziness in your eye. Like, I've never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And he said that to those who followed him. Like his own apostles were there. Other Jews were there. Like he is, he's like giving praise to an outsider, to a Gentile, to a Roman soldier saying, this man has more faith than I've ever seen anywhere else. He saw some crazy in this Roman centurion's eye. He saw faith and he marveled at it. He was impressed. He was pleased with this man's faith. And then he, he said by his word, and said that very hour, that servant, 
A servant was healed. A servant was healed. As we take a, a, a step back, we know that Jesus is the captain of the Lord's army. Amen. And he came not to the healthy, but to who? The sick, right? He came to the sick. He said the sick need repentance. And so who were the servants? Who are the servants that, that lay paralyzed and tormented? Is it not you and me? Were we not sinners when Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross that we could be forgiven, saved from sin, saved from hell? How many of you are grateful that Jesus came as the commander of the army to save us, to heal us, to deliver us, to set us free? Let's not forget that. Let's not be entitled to anything that we are by God's mercy and his grace that we can have salvation, that we can be healed by Jesus's word and by his actions on the cross. Great is his love for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. You know what? Healed people, healed people. I think that that servant that like many people were healed became great people who testified, people who were delivered from demons, people who were set free. They had testimony because of their faith. We see people all throughout scripture who had a little bit of chutzpah, had a little faith that pleased God. Who are some other people that come to your mind from the stories of the Old and New Testament who had faith that impressed God? I imagine Peter, right? When he was in the boat and the waves and the storm and Jesus was in the distance walking on the water. Like all the other disciples stayed in the boat, but, but Peter was a follower. He was a Talmud of his rabbi. And he's like, if my rabbi's walking on the water, then I can walk on the water. And he took a step of faith, and he started walking on the water. Chutzpah. Imagine that Jesus, when he saw Peter coming, there was a grin on his face. Who were some others? It was the, the blind man that would yell out when other people said, but be quiet, because he had faith that would please God. It was the woman who was sick for 40 years that she should have, because of being unclean, she should have stayed in her quarantine quarters like that, that leper. But she got out and she took the hem of the garment of Jesus because she knew that there would be healing in his wings. And as a result of her husband, her faith that pleased God, she was made whole. Story after story in the book of Hebrews, right? There's story after story of the heroes of our faith that says, by faith, Abraham, so many that were men and women, Rahab, that were listed because of their faith in God. Where did their faith come from? The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you lack faith, maybe you need to be hearing the word of God a little bit more. You need to be spending time in God's presence, abiding with the Lord. Allow God to, to as you read the word of God and you study the character and nature of Jesus and see that he's a man of faith as part of his character, that you are created in his image as a follower, as you grow in maturity, that you are to be a man and woman of faith, not of doubt. Sometimes faith starts with fear. Did you know that? Maybe not the fear that you think of. I think that this Roman centurion, his faith started with fear. You know what kind of fear I'm talking about? FOMO, fear of missing out. Like when his servant was lying in pain, like he could have just stayed there, but he didn't want to miss out on a healing. So he had so much faith that he ran, he found Jesus, right? Some of us need to activate that kind of faith. Like we're, we don't need to be content on missing out because of fear or pain or memories, but we need to trust the Lord because he wants us to be men and women of faith. 
We are to be a church that's full of faith, not just word, not just come and being fed and being this spiritual, holy huddle of believers. Friendship's important, relationship's important, but also we are here to advance the kingdom of God while their days are still light because he is returning back and we are going to stand before the Lord. Did we do what he asked us to do? Did we go and make disciples? Are we doing what the Lord asked us to do? Does our faith please him? Where are we? Are we scared? Are we afraid? Uh, once a year, there's this Facebook memory that comes up. It's on a video of my son Bryce when he was four years old. And he's on his, uh, he had just learned how to ride his bike. The training wheels were off. And in our driveway, it's, it's the steepest driveway. We, we're out in the hills. And so this driveway is so steep. A lot of people, when they come to our house, don't even drive up the driveway because it's so intimidating. And so Bryce, when he started riding his bike and these were when the, the, uh, like the, the bike was so small, the pedals were fixed, you know, so when they're moving, it just, you can't stop them. You just stop them for the brakes, but they keep moving. And so he would, at four years old, would ride the bike down the, the driveway, across the street, up the other driveway, make a circle, and then his momentum would take him back up. He would do this over and over and over again with his legs like way out in the air. And he, I mean, it, like I should have been reported to CPS. It was so dangerous. But we caught this on video. I tried to find the video to show you. I couldn't find it. But when we're videoing him go down, you hear this little four-year-old boy yell while he's going down the steep driveway, I closed my eyes. I know, right? Here's the reality. A few years later, we would be in Colorado and we were at a, a bike park. And again, at the time, him and he had a lot of, didn't have any fear, but he did this like little jump in this bike park and he crashed and wrecked and got badly hurt. So hurt that he never forgot this injury. And so a couple of years ago, this would have been 10 years after he was four, when he was 14, we decided to go mountain biking. And so I came out of the garage with the mountain bike and went down the driveway. And I noticed he wasn't behind me. And as I looked back, Bryce was walking his bike as a 14-year-old down the same driveway where 10 years prior, he was flying down and on his bike with his eyes closed. <laughs> what happened? He got hurt. And that hurt made him afraid. And that happens to so many, doesn't it? We get hurt maybe by someone else. Maybe it's a, a relational wound. We get hurt by the church. Maybe there's abuse. Maybe we go through a divorce or there's an addiction in, a lot, in our life or sin. And, and the reality is we need help. We all need help, right, at some point. And that's why our church, for those who are sick and in need help, we have our church on Tuesday nights in the fall and spring becomes a hospital. Like our desire is to help our friends become devoted followers of Jesus. We want to see the lost people saved and found. We want to see the hurting people help. Jesus came. Again, it's the great physician, right? But here's the problem. A lot of times that fear, maybe we're sick in our mind because of the memories. And the reality is we've got a lot of hospital beds in our church that we have healthy people taking up hospital beds for the, the people who really need it. And in reality, those of you who maybe it's just up, it's really in the mind and the, the enemy has lied to you saying because of your past and because of the shame, it's keeping you from taking steps of faith for the kingdom of God. And you are a vessel that God wants to use for his honor, his glory and his pleasure. 
and you have an opportunity. So I want you to listen to the voice of God. First, let's just obey everything he commands us from the Sermon on the Mount to the Great Commission to go and make disciples. How many of you know this job description isn't just for pastors, it's for every single one of us. Moms and dads, your children are your greatest discipleship opportunity. But healed people, heal people, used by the Lord. Save people, save people. Lost people, find people, right? Like this is our mission to help others. And there may be a season where you need help and you need, but at some point, you need to activate the faith. You need to get a little crazy back in your eye. That dream that was deferred, you need to allow it to come to birth and like say, all right, I, I don't, maybe the timing doesn't seem perfect. And by the way, does the time ever seem perfect? Like when you got married, was it a perfect time? And when you, when, were you ready like 100% to have kids? <laughs> right? Like at some point you just do it. You just like step out of faith, step out in faith. And, and this is the opportunity that's in front of us. So what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do to serve his kingdom? Here in our church, we have such a wonderful culture of serving him. And I don't want anybody here to feel like they're missing out. Let's not let there be any, maybe FOMO can be the fuel for a little bit of faith, all right? If you're not involved, I want you to have some FOMO. We need a little bit more of those of you to get, get that crazy back in your eye, all right? Because we've got one crack at this. We've got one, the Lord is coming back. And I want us to stand before the Lord as a big old church family in heaven and him to like grin. Like those are, man, that church family is a little bit of crazy in them, but it makes me smile. Look what they did for the kingdom of God. Look how they made disciples and small groups were multiplied and they started new churches for the glory of God. Father, I thank you again for your word. And now as we spend time in your presence, as we wait upon you, I pray that you would lead us and direct us Lord, you are over all or you're not Lord at all. And I pray that you would lead us and guide us and how we would obey you. Remind us of scripture, maybe prompt us right now. And as we wait upon the Lord, just ask him, just say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do to please you, to bring a, a grin to your face, to step out in faith, to do something that may intimidate me or make other people scratch their heads, but do something a little crazy. Just, I just want us to wait. I want you to just trust and lead, listen to the Holy Spirit. For some, you're going to get an image or a verse is going to come back to your mind. Let's just wait upon him. By faith, Lord, thank you for speaking to us. May we be men and women of faith and action, not just by word only, but by deed. Works of faith. Not for the motive of earning salvation or your favor or grace, but we're just so filled with love. And Lord, you've given us talents and gifts to serve your kingdom. Nothing's off limits. So it'd be in the area of our finances, our time, our talents. May we please you by our faith. I pray that you would increase the faith of all of us here today. God, I pray that, that you would guide us and that we would not be afraid, that we would not fear. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, unite us 
for your will and your good pleasure. Amen.